Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. The title of the book, The Family of God, Hodgepodge, and Claudia Harris, she's the author, and Claudia joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Claudia. Hi. Thank you for having me today. Great to have you on the show, Claudia. Your book, The Family of God, Hodgepodge, as you put it, is simply written in layman's terms with a common sense approach. We all know that there's no utopia down here. The utopian life is in Christ, and that's what you're teaching. Well, we are living, according to the Bible, in the last days, which has been upon us for thousands of years. But the fig tree has blossomed. It's midnight for the church age. And what God has led me to do, this is a calling on my life. God revealed to me that he wanted me to write. So I'm writing to the body of Christ about different topics that they differ, you know, we as Christians differ on, and there's so much discussion on, and religion confuses. It totally blinds us and keeps us and uh, blinded toward Christ, the real message. Because Christianity coming to Christ is very simple. Religion complicates Christianity. And so I'm writing from a common-sense approach about subjects that have bothered me for years when I go into the church uh, and they discuss marriage and divorce and you can't teach because you've been divorced and God is not with you because of this. You know, we judge. We're judgmental. And so God has put it on my heart to write about a diverse or a variety of subjects that confuse and, you know, that young people have a problem understanding. And so I'm writing from that perspective. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background. You were raised basically in the Word of God. My dad was a pastor, and I have been, I was what per se, I was born into the church, born into religion, like the Israelites. That's basically all I knew was religion, and uh, and that was my life. And we went to church basically seven days a week. But I was in my 60s. I was up in age when God actually showed me the difference between, you know, spirituality and biblical teaching religion. There's a difference. And it, and he had to dump, uh, clean, clean all of that religion, all that religious teaching out of me so that I could see Christ. And I'm writing from that perspective. And you believe that we need to take the church to the people, not just expect them to come on a Sunday, but we need to go into the streets, into shelters, wherever people are are gathered to share the word with them. Well, you can accept Christ in your heart anywhere, wherever the gospel is lifted up. When a person lifts up or mentions to you God's salvation, plan and you accept it in your heart, if I shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in the heart that God has raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. When you accept that by faith, you have eternal life. Well, we have to repent and walk in newness of life, but that's a process that takes years, that takes a lifetime. And if that message, if someone uh, 
lifts up Jesus and you hear the salvation plan, you can be sitting in a bar at a party. If you accept that in your, in your heart, you have eternal life. But what I discovered from witnessing and being on the streets, people lift up churches and pastors. You never hear Jesus lifted up. We're not lifting up ourselves. We're lifting up a name, and his name is Jesus. Not my pastor, not so-and-so, you know, and Claudia. We're lifting up Jesus Christ. Let people come to Christ. Salvation is so simple. We have complicated it. How do you view today's youth? How are they doing spiritually? In my heart, from being in Christ a lifetime, they are not being taught. They, uh, you can't teach young people unless you can draw young people. And from my background and a lot of churches that I have been in and my church home, they're very close-minded. The world has so much to offer. You have to compete with that. And you can't teach if you can't draw them. You can't teach them. And you have to use different means and methods through entertainment. Uh, and entertainment will not get you in. But they need, you know, to open it up, the dance. You know, children, uh, young people are going to dance. You know, they had dance in the Bible. So, you know, when you talk about uh, Christian dance or, you know, inviting them in, have a little party, let them dance. But let them dance to godly music, to, to music that's teaching. Because God has a code of ethics. You're not just, we're not just going to go to heaven because we want to go. You know, we have to change our lifestyle. That's a process, and that takes a lifetime, but it has to be a new direction. You're headed in a new way, a new direction. But young people are not being taught. That's the problem. That's the essence. That's, that's my uh, feeling on it. They're not being taught. And that is why we have so many youth. That's why we have lost our young people. We have a lot. Doctrine does not save. Young people need to be taught. They need to simplify it and bring our young people in. And they're not coming into a lot of foolishness. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't come into a lot of foolishness either. So we have to figure out a way. My, the churches that I came from are very closed-minded. They're not open to change. When McDonald's is not making money, they change the menu. You understand what I'm <laughs> That's saying? That's right. You got it. And, and they are the future. Our Youth today are the future of this country and of the world. And young people, they are going to go to the club. They will party. So why can't the church, when you talk about a Christian dance, you know, we we got the old-time religion, you know, and Chris, the, the, the religious, they fall apart. You know, God is not in that. Well, how can you draw? Let them come in. Let them write plays. Let them have some form of entertainment on the weekend that's teaching godliness. The, the ungodly, they have all of the programs. The church can set up programs, too. They can have after-school programs. You know, everything costs money. There are those who are able to give, and there are those who are not able to give. They can have after-school programs, too. They can teach sewing. They can teach knitting, just different ways to get the young people in. Uh, to do things, and while they're doing this, while they're involved, we're not f putting a, a lot of religion down their throat. We're teaching them how to function on a daily basis, how to d deal with their everyday school problems. You have parents who's on drugs. How can you take care of yourself in that type of uh, ungodly environment? You can be taught how to prepare your own breakfast, watch out your little clothes at night so you can go to school the next day clean. They can still... 
function in an ungodly setting with parents who are not mature. And this can be taught you from a godly perspective in the church. But the church is locked up seven days a week. They have the Sunday morning service. You pass these beautiful churches, they're all closed. They need to be opened up and have godly youth programs in the church. Have sports programs. Have games, but teach at the same time that you're, you know, you're allowing these activities to come in. You're teaching godliness in, in a creative way, so they don't actually know what they're being taught. You, you understand they're they're grasping it, they're getting it, but at the same time they're enjoying, they're having fun while they're learning. Talk to us about your views on women in the ministry. Well, I was one that God had to actually reveal that to me, that he called women. Because of my religious teaching and Bible knowledge, uh, I just I was 101% against it. And now God has opened that to, up to me, and I have expounded on his word. They were brought in from the beginning, but there are dis, different dispensations where God brings different and new things in. In his salvation plan, it, it, it had, he doesn't change it as he go. This is from the beginning. And in the next book that God has given me to write for him, um, the buck stops here. It's elaborating on that, and I'm showing scripturally from the beginning, from Abraham's calling up until today, that women were brought into the ministry. This, that, that is a calling. But God had to clear the path. He had to open it up for women to be brought in because of the curse of the law. Women were not free, but they're free today. And as bad as the world is with the problems that we're having with our youth, we have lost a generation of young people. And instead of us as a collective body being concerned about that, we're fighting over doctoring, over who God's calling. Let God call who he wants to call. Who am I to say that God does not call women? He's not choosing you. That's not the point. That's not the message. And that, that is, that's a hindrance, and that's where religion comes in, and that's where religion calls the Christ his life, Jesus, to be crucified because the Pharisees had doctrine, they had the law, okay, and they didn't understand that Christ was prophesied in the law, but they didn't understand the scriptures, and he got crucified. And we're doing the same thing today. We're crucifying, okay, instead of teaching. And that's why we have lost a generation of young people. We have lost a generation of young people. And who's concerned about that? And also we're not teaching that. The Bible has completely fulfilled. When you go to church on Sunday morning, is your pastor telling you that the Bible has completely fulfilled up until the rapture of the church? It could be a thousand years from today. His time is not our time. And do you want to go through the great, great tribulation? That's great suffering, getting ready to come up on the earth. Do people know that? Are they being taught that? I'm expounding on that. In the next book, The Buck Stops Here, elaborates on all these subjects. Very interesting, very creatively written, and it was given to me by the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm a person, so self gets in the way, too, of the Spirit. But it was spiritually given, and it will be an excellent book. And this book, uh, the, book uh, the Family of God, Hodgepodge, is also very enlightening. And these books were given to me to write. Writing was never on my agenda. It's not something that I sat down and thought of and say, oh, I'm going to write a book. When God revealed to me that he wanted me to write, 
you know, I'm walking around in awe. I'm confused. Right. Why do you want me to write? What am I writing about? And so he had to uh, slowly reveal to me what he wanted me to write about. I'm not a writer per se. This is a ministry. This is a calling. This is an anointing on my life. And I'm reaching out because it's end time. It is end time for the church age. And people need to be saved. And, you know, it's time to back away from all that religious teaching and all that religion. And the body of Christ needs to unite. The true church does not have walls. It is not a building. It is people. And we're waiting for them to come on Sunday morning. And God did not tell them to come. He said, go. Go ye into all the world. This is just some of Claudia's thinking and her dedication to God's Word in her book, The Family of God. Let's talk about uh, God's laws are for our own protection. Well, you know, we, we're flush. You know, flush is weak, and flush create, it craves a lot of things. You know, because we're flush, and we we have to trust God to help us overcome the flush. It's a warfare. It's not easy. But if we live according to his laws, we'll have more money because drugs, they're expensive. You know, a lot of girlfriends, that's expensive. Alcohol is expensive. Uh, you know, we bring children in, into the world out of wedlock, and, you know, that's expensive. You know, God can forgive us, and we're human. We make mistakes in life. But if we do things God's way, you know, we'll have a better life. We'll feel better about ourselves. Uh, we won't have so many consequences. It'll keep us out of jail. It keeps us out of prison. You know, his law is written to protect us, so we will have quality life. And if you live by God's principles, you will have quality life. And you'll be happy, and you'll have peace of mind. But it takes a lifetime. It's not an overnight thing. But, you know, you have to start somewhere. It's a journey. I think all of us, Claudia, would just say amen to everything you're saying. You're saying it so well. So before we find out the best way to get your book, Claudia, give us a final word. Uh, My final word is uh, the Holy Spirit put this song on my mind this morning. It's a hymn, I Do, Don't You?, I know a great Savior. I do, don't you? I live by his favor. I want him to use me for service to choose me. I want him to bless me, to own and confess me, completely possess me. I do. Don't you? What is the best way to get your book, Claudia, The Family of God? Hodgepodge. The Family of God, I have a website that was set up for me by Arthur House, and it's the Family of God Hodgepodge by Claudia Harris. And I notice there are other subjects on there, uh, Hodgepodge, but it's by Claudia Harris. And you also can get it from www.arthurhouse.com. But the next book, which is very creatively written, I'm really excited about that one, too, Uh, The Buck Stops Here should be available, God willing, latter part of March, April. And that's a new one that's creatively written that's very interesting. You don't have to agree. I'm just a vessel. All grievances have to be taken up by the author, which is the Holy Spirit. Call him up. Well, thank you, Claudia Harris. Appreciate it. I really appreciate the time that you have given me to expound on this great work.
Well, you have said it very well. So thank you for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you. Have a great day. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title, From My Heart to Your Heart, and a number two. Not sure what that means, but I'll ask the author, Matters of the Heart, Alicia G. Smith McCall. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jay. It's Ple- good to be here. Pleasure to, to visit with you. You have the uh, the numerical number two on your page. What is that significant of, or is that part of the title? Well, that's, that signifies that this is the second book that I've written. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you are relatively new to the, the writing and publishing stage. Was your first book also similar to this? Call from my heart to your heart. Wonderful. The book is uh, almost 160 pages, and for the benefit of my listeners, I will tell them that it's primarily a focus on poetry. Why did you decide to share your heart to our hearts in your publications? Well, it was it was something that started years ago, and. Um, I really did not know that it was going to be a calling or a gifting. It was just something that I started when I was younger, and um, I had a friend who would write me poems when we were dating, and I would write back to him. And um, then later on what happened was when I got saved and gave Jesus my heart, then I wanted to show him how much I loved him. And so I started writing poetry, and it was easy then to talk to him um, I guess it was like a love language when I first started writing poetry, and I wanted to share it because it meant so much to me, and I knew that it would touch other hearts of other people because God naturally works with the heart. Right. I noticed in your writing or in your biographical sketch that you, as a young child, wrote, um, I guess, fictional stories or short stories. Have any of those uh, surfaced? Have you decided or not decided to share some of that skill also? Well, what I'm going to do, and it's good you ask me that, because the stories I had back then, I kind of like threw them away once I got saved because they weren't real. They weren't true. So... But I am going to, I do have a desire to do 
some short stories and also for children as well. So well, it's in the horizon. I just haven't continued a birthday yet. Well, one thing I noticed about your book, your current book, which is book number two, you have dated or placed the dates of some of the uh, some of the work next to the poetry, and you've done a dig. I'm assuming in chronological order, some of those back from 19 what 74, 75, some of those through the 70s. I noticed a change in direction of your poetry. In the 70s, it was, um, you know, one person to another person sort of writing, and then it uh, migrated into more of a, uh, some would term it, a worshipful approach to poetry. Is that a good description? Very good description. Um, This is the friend who I was dating who actually started, he would write to me in poems, and then I would write back, and then I found out, before. this is before I got saved, how love how I saw love, and it was not, you know, it was not the um, God kind of love. It was the earthly, fleshly love. So at that point, I wasn't saved. And, um, yeah, I was young at heart. That's why I named that. (laughs) It's kind of a searching searching poetry is the way I would look at it. Well, that came next, too. I started searching next, and it was like a whole string of chapters that went from the beginning up until I found Christ. And, um then it changed. Now, are you involved in church, uh, I would call it ministry, in, in your efforts besides being a an author? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I work with the uh, children's ministry, and I do, um, I do do workshops outside of the church, and I have spoken in several other churches. Actually, I'm, I'm, I was ordained a minister at the end of 2005, before Uh we left Maryland. Our previous pastor ordained both my husband, Robert, and myself. So we do um, go out and minister. Well, congratulations. Your your poetry, would you say that this is something that is an extension of your ministry, or is this something that will have a broader appeal? It's more of an extension of my ministry, because I feel that I can't be everywhere at one time in different places I may not even be invited to but if it's in the book then it could go wherever you know the Lord has it to go well I'm noticing also about your poetry it is not uh, sermon outlines that type of approach it's more of a intimate conversation would that be the right way to describe it yes there's a lot of intimacy there yes Share with my listeners maybe one or two of your writing pieces so they can get an idea of how you approach poetry and the general length of of what you have to say. Okay. This particular poem is found on page 143. It's called Take Time. Went out to get the paper. It was nice outside. God said, you hardly noticed. I know, I said. Needed to get back in to begin my day. Your day, God began to explain. I sent every day for everyone to enjoy, to explore, to experience my presence and my joy. Please don't rush through it. You will miss so much of what it has to offer you. Take time to smell the fresh air and touch the roses along the way. Take time to watch the squirrels as they busy themselves throughout the day. Take time to speak to your neighbors as they ride by. Take time to look toward heaven as you glance toward the sky. 
Take time to visit the sick or give to a friend in need. Take time to pray for the orphans and widows indeed. Take time. It's a gift I have given all to enjoy. Use your time wisely and give me thanks, says the Lord. That's poignant and speaks to a lot of people a bit rushed through their day. What else did you have in your in your writing that you think might be of uh, inspiration to my listeners? Okay. I was thinking about this one's called Hidden. It's on page 68. We are hidden from the world like the clams that hide their pearls. Some are kept for such a time as this, hidden from the world. They may not know that our names or that we even exist. We are quietly waiting for such a time as this. We are praying and interceding for God's people to become one. So the work of God has established it shall be done. Closed off from the cameras, we are hidden from society, praying for the world to change. That's our number one priority. Beautifully said. I notice also in 1977 you wrote a, a piece that you also titled a song, titled Lord, I Thank You. Has any of your poetry been put to music? I have given it the music, but that's it. <laughs> no one else has discovered it yet. No. <laughs> I recall uh, from my early childhood seeing a book, and I can't say that I, I ha- have uh, consumed it, but it was titled Streams in the Desert. Would this fall into that category, where it's sort of an inspirational observation that uh, someone can go to and and uh, and get motivated for their day? Yes, I, I, would, I would say so, yes. Well, what is the one thing you want readers to take away from your work? This is, again, your second book of poetry, uh, and beautifully done. Share with my listeners why they should get a copy of it. Well, one thing I realized after I had written it, that it kind of reads like a novel, because it has a progression from the beginning, when we are young at heart and we've done foolish things, We had to deal with so many adversities throughout our life, some ups and downs, and there's a lot of things that have hurt us, has matured us, and helped us go through our journey. Um, Because life does have its trials, ups and downs, but we can get through them. It takes you through those things, and we get to the end where we have more wisdom as we grow and mature. And it kind of makes helps you to get there and inspires you when you're in the midst of some of these ups and downs, especially Chapter 8. That's one of my favorites because that's what the subtitle is um, geared to, the matters of the heart that we definitely have to deal with. And a lot of times that those matters themselves like guilt, unforgiveness, broken promises, and shame and pride, those are the things that kind of keep us from um, reaching a lot of our goals because we haven't dealt with those things. And unforgiveness, that's one of the main things, too. In uh, looking at your history, did your parents have any uh, influence on your life that has been lasting? Well, the main influence they have had would be the fact that they allowed me to um, express myself um, 
the only way I knew how. And it wasn't always through communication because we didn't communicate a lot. Um, but I would write to my mom, you know, can I do such and such a thing, slip it underneath the door. So I was always in the writing, but they were hmm. good at promoting or allowing us to um, go to whatever vineyard, um, even career-wise, as we wanted to go. They didn't put any, you know, they didn't get involved in that as far as saying, oh, you wouldn't make a good nurse. No, I you wouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, they just let us be us. So they were, they were cheerleaders on the sidelines. And looking at your poetry, I would say that the contents here would also reflect that you are a cheerleader, cheering people on to whatever they desire to do in life, and especially with a spiritual emphasis and a, a heart towards God. Is there anything that was a challenge in getting your books published? Uh, how did that come about, and did it uh, go smoothly for you? Well, actually, that was that was the thing that was so interesting, because... Down here, I'm here in North Carolina. I've been here now for 11 years. And um, I retired from being down here in 2012. And I said, okay, Lord, you retired me from school nursing. Now what am I supposed to do? So he reminded me, you've got a book to write. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do, how to get started. And the funny thing, I could not find my old poems for the first book. So when I found them for the second book, I knew I had a second book. Right. But I had a friend who was also writing poetry that I didn't know about. And she sent me the website and that her book was being published. And she sent me Author House um, website. And when I saw that, then that's how I got started. I said, well, I can check to see if this is something that I can do as well. So it wasn't really hard. It actually all worked out just step by step, and um, it it was very smooth, smooth sailing. Well, it's beautifully done. I, again, the content is, uh, I, uh, you can obvi obviously see the progression that you took in your thought process and in your maturity as a writer. Uh, the book title, again, is From My Heart to Your Heart, and it's book number two, Matters of the Heart, and my author, Alicia G. smith McCall. Alicia, where do my listeners get a copy of your book? They can get a copy from either Author House, um, Barnes & Noble, or Amazon.com. Almost 160 pages. I'm presuming that there's a book in the future as well, and maybe a website. How do listeners connect? Well, the website is um, AliciaHeartPoetry.com, and I do have information on there already. Um and it's coming along very well. And my email address is asmccall, M-A-C-K-A-L-L, at yahoo.com. You can always note me, and I'll get back to you. Fabulous. So it's good visiting with you, and best of luck in the future. We hope we can visit again when the next edition hits the streets. Again, the title, From My Heart to Your Heart, Alicia McCall, with a lot of other names in between, Alicia G. Smith, hyphen McCall, M-A-C-K. A L L. Thank you, Alicia, for joining me today and sharing your story. It was a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you, Jay. Good talking to you. Oh, a pleasure visiting with you for Author House and Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts back in a moment. 
Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book was inspired initially by a conversation the author had with a good friend on the subject of autobiographies, which has been a favourite read of his since childhood. The title of the book is A Journey to God Beyond Christianity, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome the author, John P. Birchall. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. Now, let's first of all start by asking you to tell us a little bit of the inspiration that led to you writing this book. Tell us the story behind the story. The story is that I led a very fractured and complicated life before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in a meeting and I was sharing and I realized that I was trying to explain a very busy life in 15 minutes. And I, I had difficulty with it. So... That happened on a March of one year, and I put the title down when I came home from the meeting. And then it wasn't until the following November, I attended Sai Baba's birthday celebrations. And the next morning, I woke up and wrote for 18 hours straight, and that was the book. Now, when you were writing the book, you must have had a particular reader, a particular person in mind as the reader. Who would you say the book is for and why? It was a cathartic exercise in that I was trying to explain a busy life in a short period as I've already described. But mostly I, I was diagnosed bipolar. So if it helps anybody, be it an alcohol sufferer or an addiction sufferer or a bipolar sufferer, any one person and my job is done. And that conveniently takes me to my next question. Now, it's obviously a book that most definitely... Um, has something for the reader to learn or take away. But if you could choose one thing that you feel is important for the reader to take away from reading this book, what would that one thing be? That God exists. And to cut a long story short, we are God. If you want to find out more, the end of the book, you, well, Derek O'Neill is a friend of mine. He was offered $500 million by three investors in New York following his publication of his book, More Truth Will Set You Free. He's well known in the U.S. You can Google him and he explains in a different way everything that Swami says. 
How would you say the book is? It differs from other similar books. What would you say sets it apart from the crowd? I'm Irish. I graduated from Brown University. I spent a lot of time in Japan. I got around. So people have told me, John, you should really go on the radio because your your book is inspiring. And talking about, you mentioned your travels there. Is there one particular place where the story takes place? And also, when in your life um, does the story take place? Or is it throughout your life? Tell us a little more about when and where the book Really, really, the book ends where it begins, and that's with Sai Baba in India. Tell us a little more about your time in India. I've been to India seven times. I stayed at the ashram for the first five times. Then I stayed outside for the last time, which was last Christmas, for three months. I learned three things. In the spirit world, there is no religion. There's only one God. Two, that we are spiritual beings having a human existence. Three, we are from spirit. We come from an experience here. We go back to spirit. It's contrary to what most people think, that they are afraid of death. There is no death. And as I explained already, the books by John Harry Turan, the trilogy, when you can walk on water, take the boat, morning has been all night coming, journey in the fields of forever, explains it adequately. Now let's go back to the time when you sat down and decided to, to write this book. Did you face any particular challenges uh, as a writer or did you find the whole experience pretty much um, straightforward? You see, I lived my life very well and I spent a lot of time, I spent from March to November subconsciously wondering how I was going to get my life onto a piece of paper. And really, Rick, it took me 18 hours. I just sat down, 4 o'clock, Saturday morning, after Swami's birthday on the Friday. By Monday morning, it was complete. Sounds like that was something of a rewarding experience. How, how did it feel when well, I you, you I completed I it? I, I, as I mentioned, I followed up with a second draft called Living with Bipolar and How to Temper It. So there is a subsequent to it. Bipolar is something that is more often than it used to be mentioned in the media. How has it, shall, shall we say, moulded your life, moulded your existence, and, and how has it changed you as a person? They say there's 1% of people in Ireland that are bipolar, possibly 1% to 2% in the US. So there's 6 million sufferers. It's too complicated a subject if anybody really understands bipolar, it used to be called manic depression. Meditation has been so important for me, and also medication, which has led to weight gain and makes me a bit slow. So I'm heavier than I would like to be. Olanzapine is the chemical that they've prescribed for me. And as I said, weight gain is a challenge, but mentally it's, it's helped me focus. What changes have you made to your life since being diagnosed with bipolar, what advice, if I can ask, would you give readers to your book or, or listeners to our show that may be experiencing bipolar? It started with sobriety. I had to get off alcohol, and I did that successfully, thank God, one day at a time. 
it's really the recognition of a higher power and, and meditation. And for me, the higher power is Satya Sai Baba. And that's what I'm hoping somebody will take away from this book. Personally, I think there's a movie, possibly, I don't know if it's to do with me or Sai Baba, possibly three movies. It's a short book. It's only 56 pages. So I would encourage your audience to view it. $3.99 from an ebook. It's good value. Uh, can we look forward to uh, a sequel to this book or something completely new? Definitely. I'm working on a third book. As I said, I already have a second draft in print. I'm not sure whether to get it published in Ireland or to continue with Author House for the UK or for the US or both. But I'm working on a third book. But really, I'd love to get a movie out of the book. If I get a movie out of the book and I have a defined audience, that would be great. I'm going back to India in June. And as I mentioned to you before the introduction, I'm going to Los Angeles in April. So if any of your audience wants to meet me there, I'll be there between April, it's April 22nd, 23rd, Saturday and a Sunday. Give us just a little taster of this second book that you're working on. Well, the second draft is complete, Rick, and it's really a, it's a rewrite. It's probably more personal. It's more to do with bipolar rather than Swami and alcohol. The third book is really a handiwork for living. And really, uh, again, it's personal. It's in development. I, there is a structure, but I haven't written it yet. Really, if, if, there, if you have any readers or an audience that's a, a, interested in the subject of recovery, higher power, self-mastery, I really recommend Derek O'Neill's book, More Truth Will Set You Free. Now, finally, in closing, is there anything that you would like to add that you feel is important for our listeners and readers to your book to know that we haven't covered so far? Believe me, God exists. It's not Santa Claus. He knows everything before and after. When I was speaking to you just before we came on air, you mentioned that you're going to be attending uh, an event so Los Angeles Book Fair in University of Southern California, Saturday the 22nd, Sunday the 23rd of April. I'll be at the Author House booth, probably not all the hours, but I certainly will be there. And if anybody wants to meet me, I'd be very happy. Thank you, John. Many thanks once again to my guest, the author John P. Burchill, who was talking about his new book, A Journey to God Beyond Christianity, which is published by Author House and is available direct from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good bookstockists. This is Rick Bell for Togonet Radio. Thank you for listening. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.